Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. It's good to see you all here after Easter, and you've made it here. Um, If I seem a little distant, it's because I'm recovering from being sick, and I don't want to contaminate any of you. So um, I think I'm on the men's, but I'm not 100% yet. But I felt it was too important to continue what we were talking about last week and into the future to miss this Sunday and especially to miss what we're going to be doing uh, this afternoon. And so again, that invitation for all of you to be a part of our vision into the future is really extended and it is very important. It's very exciting and very scary all at the same time. One of the things that we have done throughout the years has kind of really lay down some core values of what Genesis is and trying to live into those values to allow these things to be what motivates our actions and not just set an agenda that we decide, but to have the agenda something that we feel is containing the heart of God. And so I'm going to begin uh, today on a couple of the core values that we have. So this morning, we're going to touch on two of our core values. The first one is mission is why the church exists. And the second is love is the context of all mission. And it's important to understand how this relates to us and how we move forward. If I held this up to you guys, you guys all know what this is, right? A a can of Coca-Cola. And whether you like Coke or not, probably everyone has had Coke sometime in their life. What sits before you here is a can of bubbling promise, right? It's caffeine carbonated, sugary bliss that you can enjoy. I mean, there's been times when I've been out of the country and you can't drink the water and sometimes they have ice cold Coca-Cola. And I tell you, this does the trick. It will really just set a smile on your face and you pop it open and you get that and it's like, yes, I know what this is all about. And so there's this expectation that you have when you open a can of Coke. But what would happen if you bought a 12 pack of Coke and you opened up the first one and it tasted really salty, right? It was like salt and you just had to spit it out because it was so salty. Like, oh man, that was just weird. And then you open up another one and it tasted like sour milk. right? It's like, oh, nothing worse. One time I poured a bowl of cereal and I poured buttermilk instead of real milk. Yeah. So imagine that, right? Or imagine you open another can and it tasted like gasoline, 
right? Or, or sewage water. After a while, you'd say, okay, it's not, something's wrong. Something is wrong with this can of Coke, with this package of Coke that I bought. And say just for fun, you decided to call Coca-Cola and just let them know, hey, I've had this problem. And so you call and you get customer service and customer service answers and says, Coca-Cola, world headquarters here. How may I help you? And then you respond, I just bought a 12-pack of Coke and it tasted terrible. And they answer back, I'm sorry to hear that. What color were the cans? Well, the cans were red and had the white writing, you know, like all the cans are. And they say, well, that's the important thing is that the cans were the proper color. And was the cardboard box that it was in sound? Well, yeah, the cardboard box was fine, but you don't understand that the Coke, something was wrong with it. Well, you don't understand, sir. If the cans were the right color and if the box was sound, then that's what we want to see take place. Thank you for calling. I'm glad the cans were red and I'm glad the box was sturdy. Enjoy Coke and have a nice day. And they hang up on you. You'd say they missed the point. Okay. This, <laughs> yeah, I think that was Verizon. You just talked. No, um, they missed the point. It didn't matter what it looked like. It mattered what was inside. And I wonder if something has happened to Christianity where people are so concerned with what it looks like, but they forget what's really inside. That people are so concerned now with what we believe, but how that belief shows up becomes incidental. And for centuries, Christianity has been presented as a system of beliefs. That system of beliefs has supported a wide range of unintended consequences, from colonialization to environmental destruction to the subordination of women, anti-Semitism against Islam, Islamophobia, if you want to call it, uh, to clergy pedophilia. All these things that have been done under this banner of Christianity in some form or another. What would it mean for Christians to rediscover their faith? Not as a problematic system of beliefs, but as a just and generous way of life. What if it was more important how we lived than what we believed? What would that change in us, and what would people see in that change? Because this is, I believe, where we need to go. But just as generous way of life, rooted in contemplation and expressed in compassion, makes amends for some of the mistakes that it's dedicated to be a community that loves everybody. Isn't it unusual or strange that? the beliefs that we have often end up contradicting the intention of the one who started those beliefs. And we think of Jesus, and he was known as the friend of sinners. He was known as a person who was there for the outcasts, those who were on the margins, those who were disregarded, and Jesus was there for them. But is that what the church is known for today? 
And if it's not, why not? And what's going on? Our core values are not so much about our beliefs, but they are about uh, maintaining the right motive that moves us forward. Maintaining the right focus so that we don't get lost and so that our beliefs and structures don't override what is really important, and that is our content and our character. Because I know people who believe what are the right things, but inside there seems like something's wrong. They might have the right doctrine, but they don't treat people the right way. And so then I have to weigh these things and say, does it matter what you believe when you don't act this way? What is more important? And how do we get these to work together? For billions of people, the only thing that matters is correct belief. In Christian circles, that happens all the time. You come up to someone, they ask you about your church or they ask me and they ask, well, what do you believe? And they ask, you know, certain questions to find out if I'm a fundamentalist. They want to know what my values are in line with the, you know, the different creeds that are out there. How do I stand in line with these things? And you see, I could have all those right and still be wrong. And that should make people wonder, how can I have all the right beliefs but still be wrong in how I live. And that should trouble me because I don't want to have the right beliefs and have the wrong heart. Imagine if Jesus said, by their beliefs, you will know them. Right? He didn't say that. Or this is my command that you believe the right doctrines. Or behold, a new systematic theology I give unto you. Or imagine Paul said, though I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have the right theory of atonement, I am a noisy gong or a clangoring cymbal. None of these things are there. What if James said, true religion is this, to have the right concept of spiritual authority. Or John said, God is a doctrine, and those who have the correct beliefs know God and abide in him. Now, you won't find any of those in Scripture, but you can take this to the bank when it comes to Christianity in many of its forms, having the right beliefs, and you are in. That's what matters. Do you believe these right things? Do you believe scripture is infallible? Do you believe the virgin birth? Do you believe, and you can go on and on down the list. If you believe these things, you're good. But those weren't the litmus test that Jesus put out. It wasn't about what you believe. It was about how you behaved. If you love one another, you will know that you are my disciples. This is my a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It was about how we conducted ourselves. And even though you find these statements throughout, as important as belief is, they are not the essentials, unchanging, defining feature of Christianity. Christianity. 
So turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Verses 15, we'll move from there. As Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to a people who have a belief system in mind, and he is challenging that belief system. He constantly challenged that belief system. The things that they held as most important, he started to take it down to say that, no, you are misunderstanding what is really important. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And you're so adamant about keeping the Sabbath that you missed its point. And so he's challenging their beliefs. And we see him doing that here. In verse 15, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By the way they live, you will understand if they are a wolf or not if they are a false prophet or not, by how they live, not by what they believe. And so someone who has the title Christian, but does not love their neighbor, does not show compassion towards the person who is in need, what is the fruit? What can you obtain from that information? Instead of trying to find out what someone believes, let's look at their lives and let's see what it's producing. And I think if I would have had this in mind a lot more as I was raising our children, instead of worrying about them having all the correct beliefs, if I could have been more concerned in producing the right character, seeing them show compassion to people, being generous to those who were without, showing sympathy, showing love. What if I would have embedded those into their lives instead of this is what we believe and you have to do these things. And what kind of music is that you're listening to? No, that music doesn't fit with our belief system. Instead, let's worry about what's coming out of your life. And then it will determine actually what's going into your life. He goes on further in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out demons and in your name, perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. To feel the full effect of these words, because they're powerful words. They, they strike us and they make us think, oh my gosh, that's, I don't want to be in that situation. I don't want to be the person he says that to. 
to appreciate this, what's going on. Imagine Jesus speaking to the denominational assemblies today, to all the different assemblies of denomination. And he says, not everyone who believes the Nicene Creed will enter the kingdom of God. Not everyone who has said the sinner's prayer or believes in being born again and spirit-filled, not everyone who believes in the papal infallibility or biblical inerrancy, not everyone who believes in transubstantiation or baptism, he could go on and gone. All these things that are held to be our foundation. What if he challenged these things? Not everyone who does these things will inherit the kingdom of God. It shakes up the foundation and he's telling us Those are not the things that you need to focus on. He's telling us something more is important. He followed these challenging words with another image, equally challenging from the construction industry, something he would know about since his father was a carpenter. In verse 24, he goes on. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had the foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house And it fell with a great crash. Immediately, his hearers would know that this teaching is radically different than what we've been fed, what we've heard before. He's talking about something that is challenging how we live. The standard of our religious leaders of this day is being put into question. They obsessed over the outward appearance. They obsessed over the minute following of the law. You have to have the details down to get in right. How well do you believe and follow the law? And now we come to a place where what is the evidence of Christ in our life? And is it really what we believe? Is it really our doctrines? Is it really the things that we hold on to? Or is it the things that come out of us? Because you can say all the right things. Oh yes, I love all people equally. But what do you do? How does it show up in how you conduct yourself in society? You can say you're not prejudiced. But how do you behave? You can say I am not homophobic or against people of different religions or faiths. But how do you respond when you encounter a person who presents a beliefs or something different than you, how do you respond shows more what you are than what you say you believe. I love everybody. Do you? Where does it show? How does it show up? Because that, Jesus says, is the proof. 
And now it's shaking things up. Now it's putting our beliefs and our life into turmoil and making us wonder what is the most important things. Are we obsessing over things that really aren't the most important? Obsessing over outward presentation instead of the inward quality. And Jesus focused on the content, not on the container. He focused on the wine, not the wineskin. He focused on what was inside, not the can. What is the content of your life? That's where we tell what the truth is. I can say I love my wife. But the only way you will know is by how I treat her. If I really am faithful to her. If she has value over myself. That's how you tell. My words mean nothing if they are not connected to an action that produces something. And the same is true with our faith. And that's why if Jesus is right, we have to stop obsessing over beliefs. Doctrinal statements might be interesting. They can even be important. But they aren't the point. And they can easily distract us from the point. Our problem isn't simply a matter of having wrong beliefs. It's a matter of believing the right beliefs are what matters most. And I think that's where we have fallen into this trap in so many ways. What we need is not simply a new set of beliefs, but we need a new way of believing. And that's what Jesus has come to give us. We must go further. We must understand the essence of our faith. It's to be something other than a list of opinions, propositions, or statements that a group's hold but really can't prove. It has to be something that is evidence to the reality of who God is. The Apostle John said in 1 John 4, No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. John is going in a roundabout way and saying, You want people to see God then love one another because that's how he is evident. That's how he shows up. If you want people to know who God is, then you need to love one another. And isn't that what Jesus said? What's the most important command? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other is like it. And he, in a sense, is saying the other is as equal in value, love your neighbor as yourself. And on this rests the entire law and prophets. Now that is a statement that would have shocked them. And it's one that should shock us today. Love God and love your neighbor and everything else will fall into place. Wow. That seems 
simple. That seems scary. Can we really bank on love to that degree? See, the only reasons there is law is because there is an absence of love. Right? We have laws that say it's illegal to steal. Why? Because you don't really love someone if you're stealing from them or injuring them in some way. You don't drive recklessly if it's going to endanger somebody. If love is driving you, then all these laws are unnecessary. Love will actually take care of these things. And so what's needed more than beliefs is evidence of God's love in our life. And if mission is why the church exists, and if love is the context of all mission, then it is our job to present God's love to everybody. And to make it something that is known, not only the ones we agree with, but the ones we disagree with. Jesus loved the Pharisees, even though he chastised them, just as much as he loved the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. God's love is extended to everybody. And so should the love be with us and how we move forward. And so we need to keep this in mind. Do you know any people who have left Christianity, the faith, and what's driven them away? What are some of the things that drove them away from following after Christ? Was it a belief system that they no longer held to or saw as being loving? The odds are it probably is. Our religions often stand for the opposite of what our founders stood for. Do you see that today in Christianity? Does it seem like we're standing in opposition to the things that Jesus once stood for? And if so, what do we have to do to change that? And for billions of people, Christianity boils down to one thing. Particularly speaking, the one thing is a system of beliefs. Is that true? Do you agree with that or do you disagree with that? And if you agree with that, what does that say to the words of Christ. And if we disagree with that, what does that say to how we are then to live? Where does it move us to? You see, 10 years ago, Genesis began this church. And it began on an Easter Sunday. And I believe that it's fitting that 10 years later, We should take stock and review where we are and where we are going. And that's why this afternoon we have an into the future plan that's set in place. And one of the things that's exciting for me is how we can take our values and put them into place and be of service to our community and the people around us. How we can be 
people who are seen by how we live and not just by what we believe. That can be known because we actually love and care for one another. And it shows up in how we live our lives. And that's why we are going to be talking about this this afternoon. One of the things, excuse me, that we're going to be pushing into is how we can have a church and have this church have actually businesses connected to it that actually are profiting and producing jobs and money for our community as well as for the church. See, I think this is a benefit. I think this is a way of actually living in a way that's showing that we care about our community and not just ourselves. These are steps that we can take to make our faith of substance in the things that we do. Because I want people to know that God cares for them. And he has shown it clearly through the person of Christ. The greater love has no one than this, than a person lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is calling you friends. And what he's asking for is a heart that's loyal to love like his loves. And I think this is the news that the world needs to hear. I think this is what our country needs to hold on to. I think this is what we need more than anything else. How can we effectively communicate this? It's not going to be by what we believe. It's going to be by how we live. It's not going to be by what we say. It's going to be by what we do. And we have to start putting our faith into practice. And caring as he cared and living as he lived and doing as he did. And that's our challenge today. And that's what we are challenging ourselves with, with his words. And that's what we're going to be challenging our vision of the future with this afternoon. I'm going to be cutting things off shortly (coughs) so that we can take care of things there at the meeting. But I do want this to set the foundation for what we are going to be talking about. Mission is why we are here. We have been called to preach this gospel to every person, to every nation. This good news. What is this good news? That you are loved by God right here, right where you are. And that love is the context of everything we do. If love is driving us, it will drive us in the right direction. And so let's make sure of this as we move forward. In the following weeks, we're going to be talking about more of our core values. But this morning, I want to talk about these two. And I want to continue this subject at our Into the Future meeting this afternoon. As we look at how we are going to be posturing ourselves in the future with the possibility of a building. It's a possibility. It's not a sure thing. But there's a lot of things riding on how this has to happen. And so I'd like you all to be a part of that vision because, remember, we don't go to church. We are the church. 
And I want you to be a participant of what God is doing here with us. Let's pray. Lord, your words challenged the people who heard them years ago, and they challenge us still today. Father, I fear that we have become a system of beliefs instead of a movement of love. A movement that people can see who you are by how we care for one another. By this, all men will know that we are your disciples by how we love one another. Lord, somewhere that has fallen short and has been replaced with different systems of doctrines and beliefs that are important but aren't the point. And Lord, I pray that we would get back to the point that sees that our faith is really about how we love one another, that that's how you are seen, that's how you are known. And that we can break the walls that divide us by truly caring and giving sacrificially to the needs of others as more important than ourselves. Lord, you are challenging us to a way of life. And I pray, Lord, that we would take that challenge, that we would be shaken by these words today as they were back then, and that they would move us even as it moved them. God, help us to see your heart and help us to live in a way that it can be seen in us. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May the Lord help us to represent him well as we show we are his disciples by how we love and care for one another. Again, you guys are invited to stay and enjoy each other's company and to meet with us at 1230 there at the Genesis building where we look into our future and how we move forward to make this a reality in our community and in our lives. God bless you guys. Enjoy the week. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.